Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Brian Sin. Hope you guys are doing well. Missed being here the last couple of weeks. This COVID thing is legit, y'all. I mean, it uh, got on our family, and uh, man, I'm, I'm still in recovery mode after, gosh, man, we're going on about it. 17 18 days now and uh still still just no energy and stuff like that but i'm better i'm on the downhill slide and i'm ready to talk about a little fishing so let's get to the report and this week's episode is brought to you by great days outdoors magazine if you hunt or fish alabama or in the deep south you know that it's different down here Spawning seasons, patterns, food sources, they ain't the same down here as in other parts of the country. At Great Days Outdoors Magazine, Southern Outdoors writers pick the brains of the best Southern hunters and anglers and give you the best how-to, where-to, and when-to articles, along with so much, much more. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Nobles, Books a Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rule King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. So let's go to this first segment for the Coosa Talapusa Report. We are going to go to, with Tucker Smith. Tucker, you here? I'm here. Hey. Awesome, man. Appreciate you jumping on, brother. How you been? I've been good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Just uh, enjoying a lovely rainy day in Alabama today. So, is it raining, bud? Yeah, it's been raining most of the day here, and uh, of course, you know, got the got a cold front coming. Last two days kind of spoiled us. It was so nice, man. Gave us that little hint of spring, but we knew it wouldn't last. So, oh yeah, yeah. Where are you at this week? I'm in Florida at the Harris Chain. Um, we've got an FLW college tournament tomorrow, so it should be fun. We we hope there's going to be like 200 boats, but we hope there's going to be, might be a fog delay, but we're hoping there's not a fog delay because there's been a bunch of fog every morning. Yeah, we had that bad here this morning too. But So what part of Florida is that in? I'm not familiar with that chain. It's like mid-Florida, like right in the middle, but there's a bunch of lakes all connected and you can lock to whichever lake you want to, and the tournament's out of Lake Harris, so you can basically go wherever you want, Just to, but you have to take the locks to get up, you know. That's good. Are y'all catching any fish? Pre-fishing? Y'all finding any? Uh, we've caught a few. We've caught a few. Yes, sir. Good deal. How does this work, Tucker? Now, for you guys that don't know, Tucker is is part of the uh, the Auburn fishing team. Uh, so he's fishing for for the university and and has man has a, a historic high school career as well. Three time national championship. So this guy knows what he's doing and. And now he's moved on to the college ranks, and I'm sure you're going to do do well there as well. But I hope so. When, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Tucker, when y'all are fishing, and I'm getting off the, the report in just a minute, but okay. how many teams for Auburn is, is down there this week? There's like 18, I think. So 18 total bunch. people or 18 teams? Teams. Now, <laughs> I mean, just, just from Auburn? Yes, sir. Just wow. from Auburn. Good gracious. So now – how do y'all, I'm sure y'all are in contact throughout the day, but is it, is it, is it similar to the way y'all did it in high school? Is it different at the collegiate level? Is it more like, okay, me and my partner, we're going, if we're catching fish, we're not going to say a whole lot to anybody else, even the rest of the Auburn guys, because we want to catch our limit. And then as soon as we catch them, we'll call everybody and tell them to come over here. We know where they're at. 
or we're on them or here's how we're catching them or do through the week when you're pre-fishing are y'all communicating what everybody's doing how you're catching them i mean is it a is it a, i'm assuming it's a real team atmosphere it is we talk to everybody we're staying at a few houses and then uh like after the day we'll talk to each other and you know not about giving locations and stuff but like techniques and like what we're looking for and stuff like that to help people out but yeah it's it's a great team and we're all really close so it makes it makes it even better heck yeah <clears throat> now have how many tournaments have y'all had this year or is this one of the first ones this is the first flw one but we fished the um southern collegiate tournaments bass nation and we've got another one coming up on martin um but we haven't fished many college tournaments because of the covid restrictions right how did y'all do in your in the uh, last one in the collegiate one we did pretty good i think we got um a fourth and a third nice or fifth and a third or something like that and so then the in march you're coming to martin so i mean you getting you getting back on your home area now when you come we back are. here it's actually it's in february so it's it's pretty soon oh yeah well have you been have you been how's the fishing been on logan martin lay lake lake martin have you been fishing any of those um, I, I know you're I'm, fishing pretty regular i went over the um the weekend to jordan i've been to jordan probably three or four times in the past week or two weeks we fished a few tournaments up there and it was pretty good um, i mean it's kind of tough like the shad are either really shallow or in 30 foot of water so it's kind of their fish are all really spread out but we had like right under 14 pounds a couple of days and i think one day we had like 13 but we've been consistent which is good but we were fishing up shallow so it's kind of you got to fish all day to get some good bites up shallow but you know if you fish shallow you got to stick with it and keep fishing shallow but yeah i mean it's been all right we caught mm, i'd say each time we go probably caught like 15 or 20 but it's uh yeah. i think there's a couple warm days that y'all got this week i think that it it's going to make them start biting especially yeah. uh this time of year if you get some a couple of warm days they usually start biting their heads off so those fish when you get some of them warm days some of those fish that are out there still in maybe that 30 foot of water maybe those fish start moving up for sure i i know that there was a tournament yesterday and it took 19 and a half pounds all spotted bass to win that um, where was that my, at? that was at jordan okay and my buddy was fishing it that i've been that i fished with this week and he got i think eighth place he had another 13 Four, or right under 14 pound bag so it's consistent with what we've been catching but we just haven't been able to get that big bite that people are getting you know so but fishing up shallow right now what you're doing on what are you kind of what's your approach what are you fishing with what are you looking for any kind of structure or this time of year when it's cold and i usually target grass like laid over dead grass you can flip it with like an ounce and a quarter tungsten weight in a beaver or points work a lot uh really good too and then we fished a few bluff walls where we caught some fish also but just kind of mixing like shallow bluff walls and um and grass and uh a few docks but mostly bluffs and uh grass has been the best for us good deal and you your uh does color seem to matter right now or I would say so if you see some shad like flickering in the grass um because some creeks they'll have a bunch of shad in them like right up on the grass and usually throwing something shad color to work but you know if you see if you don't see as much shad i would definitely throw like a brim colored bait you know either flipping a green pumpkin or 
flipping something around wide or something like that. Yeah. When you see some shad. So that's, um, yeah, that's good stuff. And you know, what kind of water temperature, you know, do you, are you kind of, you know, we get excited this time of year, you know, you know, the fish are going to start moving up, getting shallower when it starts getting warmer. Of course, we got a big cold front coming and, and, you know, mm-hmm. so the fish that moved up here in the last couple of days may move right back out. And I'm sure there's that whole in and out this time of year, but kind of what's that water temperature that you look for when you get on a body of water? I know that, you know, and me and you have talked in the past on this show about water clarity and depending on whether you're fishing main channels or, or you know, or, you know, tributaries or inlets, but is there mm-hmm. a temperature that you're looking for that determines if you're going shallow or if you're going to stay deep? On those lakes, like there's always fish shallow. The majority of the fish might not be shallow, but there's always going to be quality fish up there. But uh, wherever you can find the warmest wa- water is usually the best, you know, for like grass fishing and stuff like that. But, you know, there's always, they'll they'll still bite really good when it's cold. I, I really don't pay attention to the water temperature as much as I, a lot this time of year, unless like, you go into a pocket and it's like 60 degrees. I mean, there's definitely going to be fish biting in there, but they'll bite when it's cold. I mean, these past few times I've been, the water's been, I think, 47, 48 degrees, and they were still biting decent. So, uh, and that's super cold water, you know, for yeah, that's cold. fishing shallow. And there's still fish up there biting, which is surprising. But Tucker, how do you determine, like this time of year, when you've got fish shallow and you've got fish deep? How do you determine which one you're going to go after? Really, it's all, it's what you're comfortable with doing. I mean, I'm comfortable fishing shallow. That's what I've really always done growing up. So if I can catch them the way I'm comfortable with, then I feel good about it, you know. But if you are if you like deep fishing and you're comfortable with that, and you can go out there and catch them deep. I know that they've been biting in some brush piles here too, like some 15 to 20-foot brush piles at Jordan. I've seen some fish out there, but. I mainly focus on the on the bank when I fish out there. How does Jordan compare to, uh, you know, I know your home lake. I guess you consider your home lake is Logan Martin uh, sure. Lake. I mean, how does Jordan compare to those lakes? Uh, Jordan's got a lot more bluffs and rocks, and it's got, like, a lot of steeper banks, and it's got a lot of grass in it. Uh, Logan Martin, it's, it's got a lot of clay and um, – flatter banks there's not really many steep banks there's a couple but when you go to logan you're you know you're fishing flat points and clay banks and stuff like that but yeah it's it's really it's you know not as big drop-offs as jordan is jordan's a deep lake it's 50 60 70 foot out in the middle and uh like right off the bank like off those bluffs and logan mark's not really like that at all right no it's not at all yeah well, good stuff, man. Well, hey, you guys, um, good luck uh, in the tournament down in Florida for, for you and for the whole Auburn team. We're always rooting for you. Um, Thank you. So keep us posted. Let us know how you do. And uh, before we let you get out of here, man, if somebody's going to fish Jordan, what's the Coosa Talapusa tip of the day? I would say the tip would probably be, you know, don't get scared of the water temperature because there's always fish up shallow and there's always fish out deep. And I think that if you're comfortable with what you're doing um, and you feel like, and you're getting bites and you, you know, you're comfortable, I would definitely do what you're comfortable with and 
fish that way because if you're not comfortable, you're not going to be catching fish. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, man. Well, we appreciate it, Tucker. Thanks for joining us, man. And again, good luck this weekend, buddy. No problem. Thank you so much. All right, man. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Stay safe. Sounds good. All right. All right. Great segment from Tucker. We appreciate him being on. And, uh, man, I love this tip of the day. Just don't be scared of the water temperature. I mean, uh, you fish in a lake where fish like to be up shallow. Don't be scared of it. Go fishing and do what you're comfortable with. So, guys, the tip of the day today is brought to you by Sun South from outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories. Sun South has you covered on the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. Sun South for those that do. Hope those guys uh, with Auburn have a good weekend and uh, do well in the tournament. I'm sure Tucker will keep us posted, but uh, we appreciate him. So let's go to segment two. Let's go to You Follow West Point Report with Tony Adams. Tony, what's going on, my friend? Man, just enjoying this weather. Ready to get out there and get on some, some crappy, some of those slabs. Man, I know you ain't enjoying this weather today now. It's, uh, well, right now it's still pretty down here, but we're going to get some rain here about 5 o'clock is what the weather says. The last couple of days has been real beautiful. Luckily, we've just had some little sprinkles this morning, but I think the rain's supposed to move in late this afternoon and be with us for a couple of days. Yeah, man, it, we had this morning about daylight, we had an absolute thunderstorm come through Birmingham. So maybe I don't guess it's got... I hadn't even looked at the radar. Maybe it won't be too bad on you guys down there. But, uh, yeah, that cold front's coming. So, the you know, the the like you said, the last two days have been just absolutely, I mean, it was almost 70 degrees here yesterday. So I'm sure the fish enjoy that. Yes, sir. Those pretty days, sunny days. Man, I'm telling you, they're, they, they're on fire when, when you have those pretty days and sunny days. The lake's still a little muddy, though. I mean, we have had some rain the last over the last week. A lot of be, a lot of fish being caught in many different directions here. And we've got people that you know that's trolling, you know, catching them on on jigs. Um, a lot of a lot of people's tipping them with minnows. A lot of fish being caught on jigs right now. You know, the the usually you know the orange jig heads. What what I like to fish, and usually with a chartreuse or a black chartreuse. You know, body. Uh, like I say, with it being a little muddy, you know, you usually want to go with a, a darker color jig. But you know, those has been some some real common colors. You know, to catch fish the last two weeks here on Lake Eufaula. Have you? How's the fishing been? I know you always catching fish, but has it been good? The last two weeks has really been good. You know, like I say, there's a lot of people fishing now. Everybody's ready for the spawn, but right now they're pretty much holding. You know, in the mouths of the creeks. Like I say, a lot of people's trolling, you know, the mouth. We have a few people that's still catching them on structure in shallow water, not real shallow, probably 14 foot deep. And those crappy are being suspended because of the mud in the lake. Uh, a lot of fish is being caught that way. And then, you know, Lake follow, we have a lot of night fishermen that fish, you know, during the night. And they'll fish under the bridges or sucking barge or structure or the mouths of the creeks, you know, next to the ledge. Um, most of those are using minnows and, um, a lot of fish being caught, you know, right now, but like I say, most everybody's getting ready for the spawn, you know, for them to come up around the, the rocks, the grass, you know, the, the debris or the structure that that's around the bank. And, and I don't, I don't think it's that far off if, you know, if this weather doesn't come in and cool this temperature off the water temperature a whole lot. Right. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people on the lake right now, you know, deer season's, uh, wound down and, and, um, everybody's getting back on the water and getting to fishing fever again. And, 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 you know, the spawns, the spawns right around the corner kind of water temperature. Are you looking for 
to when you move up and start fishing that shallow water for the spawn? I mean, is it a certain water temperature that you're looking for? Or is it more the time of year? Or what kind of dictates that to you? You know, what I, what I really look for is, you know, around the 65 water temperature, 62, 65, you'll start getting some, you know, up there around the bank, uh, usually between 65 and 70 there on. So, like I say, there there is some not far from the banks uh, right now that's probably, you know, in 12, 14 foot of water sitting there on structure. A lot of them running those ledges, but, you know, when it starts getting them around 65, between 65 and 70, they're, they're usually, you know, on the banks. And when you say on the banks, at Lake Eufaula, they get on the bank. I mean, they are they get on up there shallow, don't they? Yes, sir. Some of these fish, based on what size fish, I mean, they're, it's a wonder you can't see the fins sticking up out of the water because, I mean, they're that shallow. You know, they may be in, you know, six to eight, 12 inches of water. And, you know, it's 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 just amazing. I, you know, I've been out there fishing some grass. You know, you know I'd take my, my old rake and I'd rake the grass out from the bank and I'd go back there the next day and I'd fish those those rake spots that I, where I raked the grass and drop that jig down in that grass and you could pretty much see that crappy you know when you know he or she hit hit that jig in that hole in that grass and it couldn't be no more than you know a foot deep all right wait a minute you go in there with a rake in the water and rake out a spot in the grass on the bike yes sir yeah. Well, I, I do it on the boat. So, right. you know, I'm on the boat and I'll take my rake. I got a long handle rake and the grass, when it starts getting green and, you know, grass you know, around the edges, you can take that rake and you can take that rake and you can rake a little hole, you know, out in the grass that's around the bank. You know, it could be the lily pads, just rake you up that spot out. Then you can come back around that spot and you probably could do it a couple hours later. I always come back the next day and I take my, my jig pole. And I, I take my jig and I just lay it down into the hole where I break the little spot out. And I take that jig and just raise it up and down inside that hole that I, I'd raked out. Dude, you take it to another level, Tony. You are the man. That's going and, extra you know, that, mile. That about, is going extra mile right there. Yeah, and it is some kind of fun when you see them come up there and hit it in that grass. And, you know, you may not have a hole, but maybe, you know, 12 inches in diameter. And it's a round hole just right yeah. up off the bank, you know, that you take, take that rake and you kind of rake that stuff up out so you've got a little place to you know drop your jig down in there to entice them to bite that's awesome that's awesome when you're fishing shallow like that now i mean and it's not the you know it's not the spawn yet i'm sure we'll talk again when all that starts but uh and get some more detail but you're you're fishing jigs up shallow like that in the spawn as well though right i mean you're just dropping it down a couple inches in the water you know six inches or whatever with a jig pole yes sir i, I do it that way i do it you know raking the hole out with a jig pole in the grass I like doing it that way. Sometimes I take it and I put me a, a top cork or just a cork above my jig and I throw it next to the bank and I just twitch it coming back to the boat. Not real fast, just throw it out there, let it sit and just kind of twitch it just a little bit and I work it, you know, to the, to the boat. Sometimes that time of the year, I'll take the jig, I'll throw it next to the bank and I'll reel it real slow and I'll pause it. So, and I'll do that all the way back to the boat. So if those fish are shallow, they'll hit it pretty fast up next to the bank. Well. After I reel it a couple of times real slow and pause it, it lets that, that jig fall, and most of those crappies going to hit it on the fall anyways. And then I reel it a couple more times and let it fall again. So it reminds me of going up some steps. So as you as you come in away from the bank, you know, that jig's going deeper and deeper. So you're hitting, you know, the shallow spots up next to the, to the bank, you know, the 12-inch spots. And you may go down, you know, five to six feet away from the bank you know, because sometimes those fish are holding out in, in three, three to five foot off the bank, 
and you'll get just as many bites there sometimes as you will right there next to the bank. I'll be dang. Well, that's an exciting time of year. I know it's, it's, it's what people look forward to and get excited about, but like right now, what are, how are you catching the fish in the last couple of days? Right now, the way I've been doing is I've been doing a little jig fishing and I've been doing a little trolling. Like I say, a lot of people is doing long line trolling where they take the jig, throw it behind the boat, set the speed and just kind of, kind of pull. I've just been setting my, my minnows, you know, out in my rod holders and kind of drifting down the ledges. And then when I come across a pretty good school, you know, I'll grab my, my jig, jig rod, throw it up there and kind of work it off that ledge until it gets down, down to where they're at. And, you know, just barely kind of buffing it coming back, not real fast, you know, just, just little twitches. So, you know, they'll, they'll come up and hit it. We were planning on going tonight to do a little night fishing, but no, like the weather's going, going to be in our favor. But, you know, I take some, um, clap on lights during the night and I use the LED bulbs, the 12 boat bulbs to hook up to your battery. I put one, you know, at the front and one at the back so both people can fish. And then I take a piece of PVC pipe and um, I take me a, just a regular household extension cord, run the extension cord through the PVC pipe. And then I put one of the uh, the socket adapters on the top and I put me a 12-volt LED bulb into the top. So when you're sitting there in the boat, you've got a piece of PVC pipe that's standing up, you know, in the boat. You know, sometimes you can zip tie it or you can put bungee cords around your steering wheel so that the pipe comes up. You got the LED bu- light above you, so you've got plenty of light in the boat, and then you've got your little clamp on lights on the outside of the boat that's shining into the water, you know, drawing your you know, drawing your bait fish. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if the water's going I don't know if the weather is going to cooperate with you tonight, but that's uh man, that'd be a lot of fun. You know, yes. one of the one of the things that I had a question on on the trolling <laughs> was you know me and you talk about on the show all the time about the the importance of having your bait at the right depth when you're trolling how how hard is it to control the depth of your 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 jig so if you know the fish are at 14 foot i mean is it you know you can is it just the speed of the boat well the speed of the boat you know you usually i like to be right around one mile one mile per hour when i'm long lining and i'll take the the further you let that line out behind the boat, the further that jig's going to go down. Are you with me? So if yep. you take that jig yep. and you throw it in behind the boat, if you throw it 30 yards, you're probably going to be, you know, 30 yards is probably going to put you about eight to nine foot. So if you go a little further, then, it, you know, a little further out, it's going to let you go down a little further. And you can also take, a you know, a, a, a weight and put a weight above the jig, you know, 12, 18 inches above the jig, you know, so you can get the fall a lot faster. Now, long line in the lake you follow is so much structure, you're going to lose a lot of jigs. And when I am when I do do long lining, I'll do a different color jig on each reel. So, you know, I've run three on one side, three on the other, and each rod has a different color jig. So if I start catching them on red, yellow, green, and that's almost what I'm catching them on, next thing you know, you know, I'm, I'm changing some more out to that color because that's the color they want. You know, sometimes it's yellow, black, you know, it's, you know, white, blue. Um, but you want to troll with different colors until you find out what color they, they're really like, you know, they're, they're really liking. Man, what's the advantage to trolling? I mean, because you're looking at your electronics, you see the fish, why troll instead of just stop over the top of the fish and, and drop your jig down? Well, you can cover a lot more area. A lot of times when, when the crappy starts moving up in the creeks, they're pretty much moving the whole time running those ledges. 
Okay. Every once in a while, they'll stop and gather up. But if you're long lining, you know, you can cover a whole lot more area than you can if you're just sitting in one, that, one spot, you know, or trying to trying to work that ledge to find them. It's not like it is other times of the years where these fish are gathered up on structure and just kind of hanging on the structure in place. These fish are moving. So now, so that makes sense as far as why you would, why you would want to troll. Yeah. And then when you're trolling, you're covering a lot more space. Those crappies moving up and down those ledges, you know, they're running the ledges, they're traveling fish, but you will find a few that's on structure, but not tons on structure right now. So they are moving fish. Even at night, you can be fishing on a ledge or sucking barge or, or a bridge. You may catch four or five right back to back. And then you may not catch another one for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Or you may may sit there in a big school, you may every rod in your boat may have a fish on it. So, you know, those crappies not just gathered up there, they're they're moving. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're right. pretty much steady moving feeding or chasing the shad, following the shad. But you know, that's that's the reason, you know, I like the long line because you can cover a lot more space. And with those uh jigs coming by them, they're ambition. That makes sense. How what kind of what kind of size are you catching good size right now? Yes, sir. Uh you know, usually, you know, pound and a quarter, two pound fish right now, uh, which is a good, good size fish. You will catch a bunch of smaller ones. Sometimes you'll get, you know, in some schools, it's half to three quarter pound. But to me, I've always said that the the bigger crappy moves up earlier and spawn than the smaller ones. I think they come in later. That's the years that I fished here. It seems like the bigger ones always came up earlier. So I've always caught the bigger fish earlier in the spawn and the smaller fish later on in the spawn. Huh. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, I know you're catching them. You're always catching them, so that's a good thing. But, uh, well, uh, hopefully the weather will cooperate uh, this afternoon, and y'all can get out there tonight and, and do a little night fishing, put some put some fish in the boat. If not, I'm sure you'll be back out there the next day and get it done. <laughs> so you're going pretty regular. I'm just afraid just want this weather to, you know, kind of, you know, the wind is tough, you know, and, and, you know, thunder and lightning and rain and cold's kind of tough, but sometimes you just have to go, you know, you just got to go. You can't catch them sitting at the house in the recliner, you know? <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, Tony, man, if you got a, for the Ufaula West Point tip of the day, what would your tip be for somebody coming to Ufaula to catch crappie? You know, I would tell them right now, if the bite's slow, tip that jig, you know, with a minna or with a crappy nibble. Tip that bait with something because a lot of times when you you've just got that jig on a live minnow on the back being tipped on that jig you know would make a whole lot of difference. Heck yeah, that's good stuff, man. Well, we appreciate it, my friend, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. And hopefully, y'all can get out there tonight and wear them out. Sounds good, brother. Hey, I appreciate it. Guys, for the you follow West Point tip of the day is brought to you by Bucks Islands. At BucksIslands.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass pontoon bow rider style boats new and used motors as well as kayaks for sale they love trade-ins which provide a steady stream of used boats they can rig your boat at their 18 bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the united states they provide boat service on all kinds of boats even if they weren't purchased from brooks island they have factory trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama 35907, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. All right, Tony. Hey, Tony, before we get you off here, man, if somebody wants to come fish with you, you got to let us know how we can get in touch with you. Yes, sir. Tony Adams, 
Uh, phone number is 334-695-3003. Tony Adams at 334-695-3003. Or you can look me up on Facebook, Tony Adams. Would love to go catch some slabs. Hey, and y'all look him up on Facebook and check out some of these pictures. Uh, You're going to catch fish with this guy here. So y'all give him a call, look him up on Facebook, book a trip with him. You won't regret it. Tony, thank you, man. Be safe out there. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. All right, buddy. Bye. All right. Thanks. Awesome segment. And uh, with Tony, he's always, man, this guy's always so good to have on. And, uh, man, this guy, he catches crappie, man. I mean, more than anybody I've ever seen. So if you're looking for somebody to book a trip with and down in Ufall or West Point area, give Tony a holler. He's awesome. Segment three, we've got our special segment, our pond management minute with Norman with Southeastern Pond Management. Norman, how you doing, brother? Oh, doing great, Brian. How are you, buddy? Man, I'm doing good. I'm finally recovered a little bit from this crazy COVID stuff. So uh, I'm definitely doing better than I was last week. That's for sure. Uh, that's, good. that's good to hear for sure. Yeah. Before we went live here, me and Norman's been talking y'all. And, and I just wanted to share with everybody that, that his son's uh, up at, uh, <clears throat> we're in Virginia, right? Virginia Tech. Yeah. He's a hokey. He's right, a hokey. But... And uh, yep. he is a he is a freshman on the wrestling team and number five in the nation, in the top five in the nation. That's pretty yeah. remarkable for a freshman. So I'm just going to share that with everybody because that's, that's something that's truly special. I appreciate that. Let's talk about pond management a little bit. And uh, one of the things that we've had questions come in about, uh, so I'm looking forward to this segment with you today, Norman, is uh, stocking a pond from scratch. You know, we've talked about, you know, adding uh, forage to an existing pond, maybe a pond that's already been around for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, kind of the importance of coming in and, and shocking that pond and, and, and taking inventory of what you've, what you've got there and um, getting your ratios right and, and growing your fish. But from stocking from scratch, you know, as far as, the method behind that i mean let's let's walk through that that process so i'm mm-hmm. a guy i've got a brand new four acre lake and i bring you mm-hmm. in what do we do yeah so uh and we we run into this a lot obviously uh both brand new new construction and and then a lot of renovated older lakes that maybe get redone drained mucked out and reflooded and and ready to restock so you know 20 20 30 years ago when we first started out 30 some odd years ago when we first started out in this business it was a pretty straightforward formula in terms of you do abc you stock these fish you stock them at these ratios and you know this is just kind of how it's done how it's always been done and that's changed a whole lot in the three or so decades we've been involved in in this world and uh and it and it's changed for the better and 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 basically uh we're able to kind of dial things in to meet the the goals and objectives uh of a lake owner so a whole bunch of our customers for example are interested in trophy bass production so in those cases we stock those lakes a lot differently than we would a lake that where that's not the primary objective maybe that maybe in fact they want trophy bluegill production or maybe they just want a kind of a normal standard balanced fishing lake they're not that particularly interested in growing 
exceptionally large fish. Uh, so, so, so we can we can tweak and tailor those those stocking plans to to sort of fit the objectives of the lake owner. But but in but in general terms, just kind of backing up to to the start of the process, there are a few steps involved in, in properly prepping a lake to to restock or to stock fish for the first time. And and the probably the most important one. It's very important. It's critical, in fact, to make sure what we're stocking, the water that we're stocking, the pond, the water that's in that pond is free of fish. Uh, so many times, particularly cases where there's a, even just a small or intermittent stream or tributary that's feeding these lakes, they they get inundated as the lake fills with 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 all manner of fish species and mm-hmm. can be anything from largemouth bass and bluegill to crappie and gar and bowfin and and uh, green sunfish and shiners and bullhead catfish and uh, the bottom line is all these things are are compete for for space and food uh, with what we're about to introduce in the form of fingerling fish when we stock these lakes uh, brand new. So the first and 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 probably the most critical step uh, in terms of stocking a new lake is let's let's prep it properly. Let's make sure that there's no there's nothing in there to compete with what we're about to introduce and interfere with that dynamic. We recommend in in most cases and, and do this quite a bit. We come in with a fish toxicant called rotenone. Most often comes in a liquid form. That's the kind we use, and uh, it's it's pretty pretty effective at low concentrations. You know, you're talking about two or three, four parts per million. So it doesn't oh, wow. take a whole lot. Uh, it'll 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 essentially eradicate all the fish uh, fairly rapidly, and then over a period of Days or weeks, depending on the temperature of the water, it will dissipate and leave a lake free of fish uh, that's ready to stock. So I can't overstress the importance of that. There's nothing worse than than stocking a lake full of genetically improved, high-quality fingerling fish, whatever species we put in, just to have them undermined by what's already there particularly if there are adult predators there you know that are gobbling them up so that's a very very important first step most cases it's pretty simple uh in some cases it can be challenging because uh a lot of these new lakes brian you know they they don't just fill up all at once you know there may be this pothole and that pothole and this little basin of water and so fish get trapped in all these different areas so it, it can it can be a little labor intensive, but you, you've literally got to go in there and kill what's there. And well, in cases where there's a a creek feeding it, but it's the source of these fish, uh, we'll go up the creek, you know, up to the, sometimes up as far up to the property boundary of the lake owner as we can and apply it there. Uh, wow. Because again, you know, we're, we want to eliminate as much competition as we possibly can before we address the stocking, uh, the new stocking. I had this question the other day. I was showing some property. A guy is, was looking for some property to purchase. And one of the things he wants to do if, when he finds this property is, is he wants to have a pond on it. He wants to build a lake on it, five to seven acre type deal, five acre lake. And there's one spot on this particular property I was showing him that you know it's 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 got a small 
creek on it. I mean, uh, you know, it's one that you can jump across, but it's flowing. Uh, mm-hmm. It probably flows more sometimes a year in the rainy season than it does in the summer. I don't, but it doesn't look like it ever dries up. And so I'm like, man, this to me, this would be a perfect place to build a, you know, to dam up because you've got this this water supply that's steady coming in to fill your lake up and keep it at full pool and, you know, fresh water and, and all that. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe the next valley where there's not a creek, I mean, do, do you prefer one over the other would you prefer to have like go over the next ridge to where there's not a creek and put a dam there and and have it just fill up natural with runoff and rain or would you rather have the creek scenario yeah not not necessarily we don't we don't shy away from from that first scenario the most important thing is having adequate water supply so you know, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to build a lake uh, where you've got a, a, a inadequate watershed. You know, the thing takes forever to fill up and it doesn't stay full because there's just not enough water replenishing what exits the lake with evaporation and, and mm-hmm. seepage. And so we don't shy away from, from creeks. In fact, you know, there's some lakes that, that are built on large creeks, you know, have a have a lot of water flowing through them different periods of time. And once we get what we want established in the lake, once we get that species composition the way that we want it, uh, we're not particularly worried at that point about, quote, wild, unquote, fish uh, mm. inundating the pond. You know, once we get, particularly get the adult predators established, once, you know, largemouth bass are, are stocked and up to a size where they uh, can, can out-compete most of the smaller creek fish, whether it's crappie or green sunfish or bullhead catfish or whatever might come in, and we're not worried about it at that point. Okay. And frankly, the bass stay on top of that. Those those fish that may come in from a creek end up being just additional food for the most part. But it is important uh, to stock a clean, you know, to, to, to wipe the canvas clean. What we don't want to do is have a bunch of adult juvenile and adult predators swimming around out there eating everything you just put in right that's right that first few weeks few months we'd like to have a clean canvas to start with and and that's the point of coming in there just before you stock you know weeks or a month or two before you're ready to stock the fish and and just kind of wipe out what's there you know kill, kill off you know everything that's in the pond and that makes total sense and 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 i know i'm going i'm fixing to ask a question that go that that's going off topic but it it has to do with the the whole creek situation if you've got a a pretty substantial you know if you've got a, a creek with some pretty good flow coming in i mean you know that filling your lake up and got a pretty pretty steady influx of fresh water coming in is that a detriment to making it where you have to fertilize more often uh, because it's just basically washing. I mean, if you fertilize the lake, then the fresh water coming in from the creek is just kind of like diluting. And mm-hmm. is that a, is that an issue with the creek? It, it can be. It can be, Brian. So there are ideal uh, watershed ratios, you know, and we, we like to see depending on the type of watershed. Okay, but. And when I say type, I mean, is it open land? Is it pasture land? Is it timbered, for, heavily forested? Because water sheds at a little different rate in heavily forested land than it would in, say, open pasture land. But we we talk about watershed 
as a ratio to impounded area. And we talk in terms of 15, 20, even up to 30 acres of watershed for every one acre impoundment. So if you've got a 10 acre lake, if your dam is constructed in such a way it's going to back up water and, and collect about 10 surface acres. And we'd like to see somewhere in that, again, depending on the type of watershed, we'd like to see 200 to 300 acres, you know, 20 to 30 to one. If you have much less than that, the scenario I referenced earlier can occur. It takes forever to fill up. Uh, when we have, we get into the summertime, get into a drought where there's not much rainfall, uh, the water really drops precipitously and then it takes forever for it to come back up. And the opposite can occur. What you were just referencing there is if it's, if the watershed is too heavy, if there's, if it's too great, uh, then you get that flushing effect. You turn your water over so rapidly that it becomes difficult to, to be effective with your management efforts, whether it's liming or fertilizing or both, or even sometimes vegetation control. Uh, so the good news is in watershed ponds, we have lots of lakes that, that have big watersheds, probably a little bit too big. So in the rainy season, there's a lot of water flushing through. But typically, we get into May, June, you know, really the heavy part of that growing season. Rainfall, uh, precipitation decreases pretty dramatically. And so even cases where there's heavy flow through in the rainy, wet months, that decreases drastically when when it quits raining so much. So even even a case where there's really technically too great a watershed to impoundment ratio, we can still be effective with our management during those important mm, uh, late yeah. spring and summer and early fall months where rainfall totals are, are much lower. Yeah, that makes sense. That, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That, that does. And I'm sorry to get you off topic there. So go ahead with the, with the stocking. Yeah. So, so after we eradicate those wild fish and you know, whatever's left in an old renovated pond basin or whatever, um, we're ready to stock. And, you know, one of the things we run into a lot is, hey, my pond, you know, I've got a new pond. I, I want to stock it, but man, it, it's not ready. It's not full. And, uh, and we say, hey, we don't, we don't have to have 100% full to, to stock it. You know, we're not trying to introduce a three-year-old fish population. We're just trying to get the fish started. So we tell folks all the time, you know, if you've got, 10, 15, certainly 20% uh, surface acre flooded, surface area, you know, the, the, the total surface area that the, the pond flooded, that's typically uh, plenty to stock a new pond. So we stock a lot mm. of ponds when they're quarter, a third of the way full, and it works fine. A lot of, a lot of lakes are built, you know, construction uh, happens in the summertime when it's drier and you can get in and work. And, and so those lakes are... Um, you know, kind of ready to be stocked, uh, say in August or, or September, uh, valves closed and, and, you know, collecting a little bit of water, uh, but they may not be, they might be quite ready until, you know, October, November, December, January. But as soon as we get, uh, you know, 20% full, uh, even 15% in some cases, uh, they're ready to stock. And at that point, you got a bunch of decisions to make, and that's where we can, can help a lot. We want to, you know, what what is it, what are our goals? What are our objectives for the lake? I mentioned trophy largemouth bass. Well, if that's the primary goal, the primary objective, then we're going to stock that lake a lot differently 
than if somebody says, hey, I don't care anything about catching big bass. In fact, I just want to catch lots of them. Uh, I don't care how big they are. My grandkids just, they just want to have their. That's right. We just want to catch a lot of fish. That's right. So, so, so we can tweak those stocking approach to fit kind of what the objective is. The one thing that always holds true in new stocking is the, the forage fish uh, always go in first. The, the fish that are going to ultimately feed the bass, the top end predator, they always get stocked ahead of time for obvious reasons. I mean, it, that that's, they have right. to have time to, to establish, uh, to start reproducing so that when we do add those predators, uh, there's plenty for them to eat. And that's obviously critical for their survival. It's also critical for their growth rate. So, you know, the, the more abundant to a point, the more abundant the food, uh, when those bass go in, the faster they're going to grow. And so, the first species that we come in and introduce are your forage species. And when I say forage, I'm talking about everything from bluegill and shellcracker and fathead minnows to golden shiners and threadfin shad. Those are the fish that go in first. We tend to, we try to stock them as soon as we can after the, when the lake's ready to stock. Ideal stocking uh, uh, timeline on the calendar for stocking forage is, is sometime in the early fall, uh, all the way to late winter. That's ideal. Uh, you know, if we can stock a lake in in uh, in September, October, uh, that's fantastic. You know, we don't get a lot of rain in this part in September and October, so you know we don't stock a whole lot of lakes those months. Most of them uh, start to really fill up in November and December when it starts raining a little bit. So we stock a lot of lakes in December. November and December, and even into January and February. Uh, but the sooner we can get that forage in there, uh, the sooner it can take advantage to that to, to all that natural habitat and can start growing. And typically, the better they're going to perform in terms of growth rates and reproduction. And and so we let those fish just kind of kind of stew in there and grow and spawn and expand. And uh, you know, all through the early part of the growing season. And typically, we stock bass in late May or early June. And that's about the time that those bluegill that were stocked back in November, December, January are of a size and are, are ready to ready to spawn. That was the, my next the, question is, is that when you, you know, unless when I think of stocking, you know, first one of the first things I think of is uh, is bluegill and get the bluegill established so when you're stocking these bluegill I mean I don't I don't know how big they are when you're stocking them but I assume that you want to at least have one spawn out of your bluegill before you introduce the predator fish yeah, it's it's critical. In fact, I mean, the bluegill that we stock typically are one to two inches. The later in the season that we stock them, you know, they're probably closer to two inches. So say we stock a lake in, in late December or January, those those are going to be you know one to two inch, probably closer to two inch bluegill fingerlings. Not quite sexually mature, but will be sexually mature in a couple of three months. And when a, when a bluegill gets up to about three inches, it it's it can spawn. Wow! And so when you know, so we we stock the bass in May or early June. Well, those bluegill that we stocked back in December uh, are far too big for those uh, little two two three inch bass fingerlings to eat. 
Mm-hmm. And so in order for the bass to have something to eat, or certainly to have an abundance of food, it's critical that those bluegill be reproducing. Because the bass that we stock are going to, their primary uh, food source is the is the fry of those bluegill that we stocked back in December. Right. And and that's that's why we time it the way that we do. Now there's some there's some other species that go in frequently, like we stock fathead minnows uh, a lot of times, along with bluegill. Uh, when we stock the bluegill, fathead minnows will spawn in February and March, and they don't get very big. So uh, you know we let those jokers spawn uh, in February and March, and they just you know they just grow and and fill up the lake, and and it's just an additional uh, food source for the bass when they go in. Same thing with, with threadfin shad. A lot of times, uh, particularly in cases where folks are interested in, in quality and trophy largemouth production, we'll try to introduce threadfin shad, maybe even golden chiners alongside the bluegill and fathead minnows. And keeping in mind, you have a unique uh, opportunity uh, before those bass go in to get these forage species established. Once the bass go in, it becomes much more measurably more difficult to to get a forage species established because you've got predators in there gobbling them up as fast as you can put them in. Whereas um, before the bass go in, there's really nothing much that's in there eating on them. So right. it's a, it's a it's a, an opportunity, and that's another reason we want to establish forage ahead of the predators. But it, yeah, it's definitely critical that the bluegill and or any other species that we introduce, whether it's threadfin shad, shellcracker, fathead minnows, golden shiners, we want all those fish to be sexually mature and spawning at an optimal level before the bass ever go in. And when you can create those conditions, that's when you see these bass that go in at two or three inches, uh, you know, by the end of the summer. Uh, by the fall, these jokers are eight and ten inches long and look like little little footballs, you know. And uh, they they will respond to all that food per acre. What's the kind of the the rule of thumb y'all y'all go by as far as how many? Like if I'm gonna have a five acre lake, I mean, what can I expect uh, in and how many bluegill do I need to put in there? Referring back to to the, the comment I made earlier, which is you know that that's changed a lot over three decades or so we've been doing this. The, the, the old standard forever in, in stocking new ponds or, or, or renovated lakes and ponds was was a, a ratio of about 10 to one forage to predator. So, uh, and, and that typically fell out into roughly a thousand bluegill slash shellcracker per acre to a hundred bass. Okay, so that's about a ten to one ratio. Now, Brian, depending on again what the what the objectives are of the lake owner, uh, how aggressive they want to be in terms of really trying to push the bass and promote the production of quality and trophy uh, largemouth, we go as high as forty or fifty to one. Wow. In other words, we stock way more forage than those thousand per acre, and we may even cut down on the total bass fingerlings that we introduce. We're trying to create uh, a surplus of food, an abundance of forage, so that the individual bass that are stocked swim around and eat 
nonstop and never want for food and never have to look and never have to put much effort in finding something to eat. And in some of these lakes that we do this in, and it's not for everyone, but in some of these lakes that we do this, coupled with proper liming and fertilization, okay, proper vegetation control, typically coupled with supplemental, a supplemental feeding program to add nutritional supplement to the, to the forage fish, particularly the bluegill, we're seeing bass growth in the three plus pound per year range. Good we're, 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 we're electro, we're sampling fish, seeing it over and over and over again, you know, eight and nine pound bass that are three years old. That's crazy. Uh, and, and obviously they don't keep that growth rate, you know, beyond that third or fourth year, they slow dramatically, but we're seeing that consistently. And that's a result of the, the stocking approach. Okay. As well as improved genetics. Okay. Sure. So large mouth bass genetics, uh, fingerling genetics have improved uh, in leaps and bounds in the last, particularly the last couple of decades. And there's some really, really cool stuff going on right now that we're heavily involved in uh, with a, with a producer that I think is, uh, I won't go into a whole lot of detail about it right now, but it's pretty exciting in terms of, you know, taking another giant leap forward in bass genetics. It has to do with pedigree breeding Okay, which has been done obviously in other animals, yep. you know, whether it's cattle or equine or even in other fish species. No one's really done it with largemouth bass. Well, there's a group that's doing that now, and it's pretty darn exciting. Some of the preliminary results, and you know, we believe that the fingerlings that these folks are going to be producing in the, in the coming years are going to have even greater upside growth. Conditional, of course, on providing them plenty to eat. You know, right. you can take the greatest genetic phenotype, you know, the great, the, you know, the best yeah. genetics in the world. And, and if you starve them, feed them a, yeah. starve them to death. That's right. They're not going to grow. But all things equal, some of the research indicates it might be, you know, be able to increase growth rates by 15, 20, 25%. Goodness. That's pretty significant. That's very so, significant. Uh, really exciting stuff. And we'll obviously have a lot more. On that to come in the future, and hopefully you and I can visit on that. As it, that is as really it cool. That is really cool. Yeah, that could be a whole episode just talking about that. That's really cool. That's exciting. You know, through the discussions that we've had on here, you know, the when I think about a, a pond, and you know, one of the hardest things to do is to keep your ratios right as far as your forage and your and your predator fish and your bass. And over time, because most fish, most lakes don't have enough fish caught out of them, mm-hmm. uh, that you that it gets out of balance, and you get uh, at a certain age of the lake. So, you, you know, in my mind, I'm I would be thinking, and it may be the wrong thought, but I would almost want to understock the bass, you know, yeah, so that I get if I understock the bass on the front end. Does that re- does that correlate directly correlate to how many good years I'm gonna get out of that lake? Yeah, you're on the right path. It's not so much understocking the bass as manipulating that forage to bass, that forage to predator ratio. Mm-hmm. So, and you and you can do you can do that by increasing the forage stocking rate. 
You can do it by decreasing the predator stocking rate, or you can do it by doing a little bit of both. So, and, 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 but you're exactly right. So, so one of the, the benefits, in fact, the significant benefit to increasing that ratio, like I said, from a thousand to a hundred, which is 10 to one up to 40 to one, one of the real benefits is, uh, it, de- it, it takes the burden of harvest off of, off of the pond owner, the, uh, it decreases or de-emphasizes the importance of harvesting fish, particularly that first couple of three years. See, what, what we run into or what we always ran into uh, back 25, 30 years ago, uh, these lakes, you stock them at 10 to 1. And for at the end of year one, you go in and shock these fish populations and they're already predator crowded. You know, at the end of the first year, I mean, the bass have already... Those suckers uh, are eating, kind of eating, yeah. eating themselves out of house and home. So they they'll grow they'll grow fine up to about a year old. Then all of a sudden there's a scarcity of food, and so you know over the years we kept saying, look, what can we do to prolong that period of food abundance? Uh, you know where we can so that those bass don't just have everything they want to eat for a year but have everything they want to eat for three years, you know, without creating this massive burden of having to go in and, and remove, you know, hundreds and hundreds of small bass. Uh, and so uh, we, we have accomplished that in a lot of situations, again, by increasing that, that ratio. And a lot of that is increasing it by is, is stocking more forage and, but it's also in in some cases, particularly where uh, we're really trying to push those individual bass, it's what you just referenced. You know, we'll decrease the bass stocking ratio. Intuitively, people hear that and they're like, "Oh, that sounds like a terrible idea," because folks think more bass is always better. Well, that's that's not always the case. There's a limit. You know, you can only have so many bass, so many pounds of fish per acre in that lake. We refer to that as the carrying capacity. We have to be smart about it and match up our stocking approach to what your goals are for your lake. If you want to grow quality and trophy size largemouth, there's a limit to how many you can have in there. Now, we can still be outstanding fishing, don't get me wrong, but we, we don't want to get into a situation where 12 months in, we're putting all our effort into trying to get rid of half the fish that we stocked in the first place. Right. You know, so, so we've changed that a lot over the years. I guess this is something that's probably changed over the years too. And, and I, I've heard in the past growing up that, you know, when you're looking at, at farm ponds and, and not, not necessarily farm ponds, but you know, something besides a big reservoir that uh, a lake that you would stock that, you know, you get about a good 15, years out of it and then you just need to rope on it and start over mm-hmm. uh, is that is that true today or because of the efforts you guys do do you get a a longer run time out of a body of water uh, than you used to or is it in or, or is i mean i guess if you have got you know have you guys that are managing your lake i mean i guess that can go on for a long time yeah i think it comes down to to consistency and and how effective you are with your management program. Theoretically, there's no reason uh, why a a 20 or 30 year old lake can't be as productive as a five year old lake. 
what happens uh, often, and your observation is spot on. I mean, we run into the same thing, Brian, where we say this lake is 10, 12, 15, 20 years old. You know, at this point in time, we might be better off just renovating the thing and starting over. But in those cases, almost without exception, the, the management has just not been effective or maybe even non-existent. Non-existent, right? So you get if you have a period of time in that twenty, fifteen years, twenty, whatever, uh, you know, maybe you have a year or two or three. It doesn't have to even be consecutive where you don't keep up with your harvest, where you don't keep up with your fertilization program, where you don't uh, keep up with controlling vegetation and 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 all these other uh, fundamental uh, tenets of of proper pond management, and and when you go through those periods those years the the population suffers and there's damage done and over time uh, it can become uh, difficult to recover from so we have plenty of lakes that are that are you know going into their second decade uh, that are outstanding and should the fishing's outstanding the quality and trophy bass production's outstanding and again theoretically as long as uh, we can continue to, to manage properly, both in terms of managing the, the water fertility, liming, fertilizing, controlling vegetation, and uh, managing the, 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 the fish community with proper harvest, selective harvest. Uh, in theory, those lakes can go on for another decade or two decades. So I think it comes down to more being consistent uh, and effective with your, with your management uh, plan with your management program over over a longer period of time yeah it makes sense that's good stuff man and and it just is you know it's, it's it's stuff that we don't know that most of us you know because we're not around it all the time and and if you're a new landowner or lake owner you might not be familiar with that but when you sit here and listen to you talk about it you're like well it makes sense yeah, you know, we do this stuff every day and have for 30 plus years. And so it, we, you know, just like anything you, you get comfortable with and it's second nature, we probably make assumptions that folks know this or that. But I mean, the truth is, uh, that's what we do for a living and not to give ourselves a shameless plug here. But I mean, we're here to answer questions. We do this every day. And talk about it all day, every day. We're blessed to have been able to do that for as long as we have. We we love what we do, and and uh, you know we feel like we we're pretty effective, uh, and and have come up with with uh, productive strategies and can tailor things to a wide range of objectives and goals. And folks should give us a call and and chat with us about it. And uh, no better time to do that when you're stocking a brand new lake. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where all are y'all located now, Norma? Because we get, you know, it's the Alabama mm-hmm. Freshwater Fishing Report. We're all over the state of Alabama. Where may, where are y'all's offices at? I know y'all have several different locations. We do. We've, we've got two in Alabama. That's where obviously where we started. We've got one down in Auburn, and then we've got one in, in Birmingham or a little south of Birmingham in, in Alabaster, Clara area. And then we have a, an office in Jackson, Mississippi. Actually, it's in, in Clanton, uh, uh, Mississippi. And then we've got an office in, in uh, Tennessee. 
as well in Jackson, Tennessee. I didn't really, and, I didn't so know y'all we, had one in Mississippi and Tennessee. That's that's good. Yep, yep. We, we pretty much get. I mean, if it's the southeastern footprint, whether it's Louisiana, uh, even southern Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, Alabama, Panhandle of Florida. Um, you know, we get up into the Carolinas a little bit, even we get a little bit over into East Texas sometimes. Um, uh, you know, we pretty much cover that, that Southeastern footprint pretty, pretty effectively. Certainly as far as fish stocking, absolutely. We can get to all those areas and even beyond in some cases. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is how far of range, uh, that y'all would go, but it sounds like you can, I mean, you can cover cover a pretty good size area i mean out of your location yeah 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 i mean we there's certain things that we do that are difficult to 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 travel four or five hours i mean we for example we we fertilize thousands and thousands of acres of water for customers and you know we do it fairly economically you know we come out and make uh, 10 11 12 applications a year from early march to the end of october well you know if you're in east texas you know, six and a half hours away from our closest right. location, it's probably going to be difficult for us to do that uh, cost effectively, right? But right. but even that far, if it's stocking fish, stocking bluegill, threadfin chad, whatever, uh, we 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 can travel that far to do that sort of those sort of services for sure. Yeah. So, uh, and one more, and I know we got to cut this thing, but one more quick question on stocking. So you've stocked the lake. We've got our forage in there. We put our bass in there, uh, our predator fish in. How long down the road do we can we expect to have to restock some threadfin shad or more bluegill? Uh, t- is there a typical time period that you? I, I guess it all starts with the ratio you start with, right? I mean, if you're forty to one, you're mm-hmm. not going to have to stock for a long time. Uh, it, 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 10 to it, one, that, you may have to stock a little quicker. That's generally the case that that's certainly true. And in terms of, you know, when, I mean, that there's so many variables and, and really, again, it comes down to how effective are we at, at executing our management program. Right. Uh, there, there are some things that, that are beyond our control from time to time, you know, mother nature type things, uh, threadfin chad are susceptible to, extreme uh cold and so uh about every uh six or eight maybe even you know eight to ten years we'll get one of these winters even in the deep south where a lot of threadfin chad die and we and and they do need to be restocked you know even in the rivers you'll see massive die-offs of threadfin chad because they're not particularly cold tolerant if it gets down into the water temps stay down in the low 40s or you know, for extended periods of time, it can it can cause mortality. So, but generally speaking, if it, again, if if it's dependent on how effective we're able to execute and how consistent we are with our management programs, uh, you know, theoretically, when you stock threadfin shad, when you stock bluegill, those are sustainable fish communities. I mean, they they reproduce in in massive numbers. As long as we keep the, the keep them happy, keep them fed, keep the, the alkalinity, keep the lake limed, as long as we maintain our fertilization program adequately and we and we can keep nuisance aquatic vegetation from becoming a, a leach on the nutrients in the water, 
uh, hey, we can we've got lakes that that have been stocked with with these species for for many 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 years, you know, decades where we didn't we've not had to come in and 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 stock additional fish. So that's awesome. It's uh, it's variable depending on you know a bunch of different factors, really. Sure, that's good stuff. Well, if somebody is out there listening and 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 needs to have. Uh, you know, building a new lake or wanting to start over with their existing lake and, and do some stocking, uh, what's the best way for them to contact you, Norman? You know, I, I, like I said earlier, I'd encourage anybody to call. Be happy to talk to anybody. We don't charge for talking on the phone or, you know, talking over ideas. But the, the, be, the best way to get me is just contact me directly on my cell. Uh, you can call me or text message me. And and that number is 205-288-1371, 205-288-1371. And then obviously we've got a website that we keep up to date, uh, sepond.com. And we've got lots of ways uh, that folks can reach out to us. Uh, if they pop onto the website. Good stuff, man. Well, we appreciate it, Norman. That's a, a, a good segment and uh, very interesting. And, and, and man, uh, look forward to hearing more about this genetically induced enhanced fish that y'all are working with. I know people don't want to hear about that. So uh, that'll be a future show when we can, when you can reveal more of that top secret information. But uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I look forward to it. I'll certainly keep you posted on all that. All right, yeah. buddy. Well, we appreciate it, man. Look forward to uh, next month's show. Okay, same here, Brian. Take care, man. Bye. All right, man. What a great segment with Norman. We we appreciate him being on here. Love for him to be a part of our show. I, it's a segment that I look look forward to myself uh, hosting and doing every week or every month. And I hope you guys get as much out of it as as I do. So give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management. And uh, man, these guys are just a wealth of knowledge. And and I think you can tell just from listening to Norman on here that he is just as real. Uh, I mean, down to earth. And when he says, call him and he'd love to talk to you about it, you know, and free of charge, he, he's not lying. He means that he'll, he'd love for you guys to call him and, and discuss your lake with him and see how he can help you or if he can help or if you even need help. Give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com and these guys know how to grow big fish, man. They've been doing this a long time, so they're a heck of a resource. And that is going to be a wrap for this week's show. Please subscribe, rate, drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, all you got to do is just text the word fishing to 646 495 Great show, guys. Appreciate you listening. Be sure and tell your friends about us. Drop us a review. Talk to you next week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save a bundle online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you're fortunate enough to own a lake or a pond, then I know you want to get the most out of it as possible. We all want to manage and grow big deer on our place, so why not grow the biggest, most healthy fish possible as well? Give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com, and 
these guys know how to grow big. And brought to you by Sun South. From outdoor equipment, parts, services, accessories, Sun South has you covered on the best for less. Visit SunSouth or SunSouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. Sun South for those that do. And brought to you by Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. At BucksIslands.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks for sale. Give them a call at 256-442-2588. And brought to you by You Do and brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344.